You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I feel like who art ed? Try to slice it. Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it, 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 it works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted, weekly art history for all ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. And today, since I did an episode recently on Wolfgang Beltraki, the great forger who was caught after he used the wrong pigment in a forgery of a Kampendonk painting, I thought it only appropriate that I create an episode on Heinrich Kampendonk. Now, this episode, I'm just going to tell you, Check the show notes because I'm going to include links as I'm finally getting to the point where as I reference different artists and movements and things like that, I actually have quite a few episodes to explore for those who are interested in learning a little bit more. In the show notes for this one, I'll have links to episodes on Wolfgang Beltraki, Vasily Kandinsky, and maybe some other artists as things come up. Now, Heinrich Kampendonk was born November 3rd, 1889, in Krefeld, Germany. He studied at the Academy of Fine Arts in Dusseldorf, and initially he was influenced by the Symbolist movement. But in 1911, he joined the artist group the Blue Riders. Now, the Blue Rider group was really influential in modernism and a lot of... Um, a, a lot of different movements, the expressionist movement, we see it was getting away from the sort of traditional representational ideas. But this was a group that was founded by Vasily Kandinsky and Franz Marc. The, the idea of this group was they were really focused on sort of getting down to more spiritual truth, truths through art. It, they wanted to get away from... I guess, art and painting as a representation of the outside world and more get into the inner worlds of their thoughts, their emotions, their spiritual beliefs. And they really put a lot of significance on color and these abstracted elements in their work. 
The name the Blue Rider actually sort of references the group's fascination with symbolism. I mean, the color blue was meant to be sort of a spiritual symbolic color. And the idea of the rider was sort of propelling it forward within the work. It obviously would also have some connections with both Kandinsky and Mark in motifs that they had referenced a lot in their paintings. But as I said, it's sort of associated with the expressionist movement, the focus on the emotions and getting away from the artistic conventions of Western painting, trying to capture naturalistic and representational images. So Kampendank exhibited with the Blue Rider group in some of their exhibitions. He's in with Kandinsky and Mark and all of those those people and he's exploring these different ideas that you know we associate a lot with people like Kandinsky who associated color and sound um, Kandinsky actually had synesthesia so he literally connected color and sound but part of the idea and inspiration for a lot of people in this group was thinking of art as something that would be universal. They were looking at musical inspiration, trying to connect sight and sound and get down to something that would be, you know, resonating with all people in all cultures and all times. And so to do that, they were getting very experimental. Of course, that movement kind of came to an end, um, very shortly, really. It started in 1911, but it really disbanded as World War I hit. So 1914 it really was the end of the Blue Rider group. And sadly, Franz Mark, one of the founders, passed away during World War I. So he was, he was lost in 1916. During World War I, Kampenach served as a soldier, as most able-bodied men did at that time, but he continued to paint even during that military service. And During this time, he develops a distinctive style. He has these bright, vibrant colors, and he sort of was, I would say, a bridge in some ways, um, which I guess is kind of perfect because the Blue Rider group was actually somewhat influenced by another sort of proto-expressionistic movement that was called the bridge. Um, but he was kind of connecting traditional painting and some modern elements. He worked in a variety of media. He painted, he made prints, he even worked in stained glass. Although I would say I recognize his painting best of all. In 1919, after the war, he became a professor at the Bauhaus in Weimar, and he taught decorative painting there. So I guess I wasn't the only one who kind of associates him with painting. Well, he left the Bauhaus in 1921, he was still very much in line with the school's principles, combining art and craft and elevating all of that and exploring these modern ideas. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Bauhaus, I haven't done a full episode on the Bauhaus, but I did cover it a little bit a while back. I'll link that in the show notes. And I should have more sort of Bauhaus-related content coming up as I am planning an episode on Mies van der Rohe for a few weeks from now. 
But a Kampendank was known for, I would say, it's it's funny because he's like a little bit modern, which tended to be rational with uh, the way we think of a lot of that abstraction, especially when we think of like the cubist sort of analytical style. But Kampendank's work was also sort of mystical and fantasy and he he incorporated these animals and mythical creatures into his works he was very much experimental covering you know a wide range of subjects he's making landscapes portraits as well as these very spiritual and religious themes popping up in his work so as he's going on in his career he continues making connections with, you know, lots of different artists. Paul Clay, uh, in the 1920s, he joins up with another group, the Cologne Progressives. Um, and again, just exploring all the different ideas coming out in this early to mid 20th century, just like the hotbed of modernism um, coming up throughout Europe. Now, while he participated in a lot of different exhibitions in Germany and abroad, um, probably the most famous, or I should say infamous, was the Nazi Degenerate Art Show. His works were some of the ones that were included in that collection. Now, a little bit about the Degenerate Art Exhibition, or the Degenerate Art Show as it's commonly referred to. It was organized by the Nazis in Germany in 1937, and really the entire point was to vilify and just discredit modern ideas, the avant-garde art scene. A lot of people don't realize this, but Hitler was actually a frustrated and failed artist. He had been a traditional painter making fine enough quality landscapes and watercolors nothing great nothing exceptional um you know just meh kinds of paintings and that was kind of the feedback that he got at the time that people were excited by these fresh new and bold and innovative ideas and with the degenerate art show one of the most common interpretations of this was a little bit of like Hitler's revenge trying to just demean and belittle all the people that were successful in the field where he had been a failure. I would actually say it was probably a little bit of that, but more about what their explicit intent was, which was to try to, to try to, create this propaganda coup talking about how their traditional ideas were were great and all of this new modern stuff was somehow flawed and wrong. And so they targeted artists associated with expressionism, surrealism, dadaism, basically all of the modern movements at the time. And today we look back at that as a collection of some of the greatest and most influential artists, including Vasily Kandinsky, Paul Klee, Kirchner, Max Ernst, you know, all of these people, along with Kampendank, were labeled as degenerates. The thing about it is, in this exhibition, they weren't just kind of laughing at those artists. I mean, 
to be on the wrong side of that regime was not a safe place to be. And so artists who were sort of in the crosshairs, I guess figuratively and to some extent literally, often fled. I mean, it was not a welcoming environment. The Bauhaus was shut down and Kampendank, along with a lot of other artists, could read the writing on the wall and got out. Kampendank went to the Netherlands in 1938 to just get away from that oppressive political climate in Germany. And during that time in the Netherlands, he just continued to paint and he taught art. Uh, during that period, you know, his style evolves. I think like most artists, you're constantly trying out different things. Um, he actually, in some ways, went a little bit back. He incorporated some traditional and classical elements. His later work was associated with a lot of like biblical and mythological themes. So in some ways, like I said, a little bit classic, a little bit of almost historical painting happening there. He continued to exhibit internationally. He was gaining some recognition. He was an influential modern artist, but he wasn't exactly a household name. I would say probably still isn't. But his diverse work really gave us insights into the evolution of art movements in the early 20th century. Still, probably the greatest insight came from the painting of Three Red Horses that was attributed to Kampendank, but ultimately gave us the insight and the evidence to prove that Wolfgang Beltraki had been forging the work of Kampendank and a number of other early 20th century modernists. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.